Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Clive Urquhart. We know there's been so much going on in this last period of time in different ways, in so many lives. So much has shifted out there in society uh, in, in different ways. But the one who never changes is the one that we have on the inside of us. He doesn't change. No matter how much there are shifting sands around us in our lives, he never, ever changes. And what we want to be doing every day of our lives is we want to plug into the one who never changes. He never shifts. He's never moved by circumstances. He's never moved by the issues of the day. He's not moved by anything that is going on in the earth that is contrary to who he is. He's not moved by those things. He doesn't react or respond to those things because they're happening. God is outside of time. He saw today before time even began. He saw your life and my life before we were even around. He knew today was going to happen. He knew what was going to be going on around us. He knew what was going to be going on in the culture, in the society that we live in. He knew what was going to be taking place in this nation and other nations. And he's not moved today by what is going on and says, oh my word, I didn't see that coming. I better come up with a plan and sort out what on earth I'm going to do on earth. God saw all this stuff before it even was on the horizon in our lives. He saw you and I alive today in this moment that we're in. And he knew exactly what he wants to do in us, what he wants to say to us so that we can live through our lives, through whatever's going on and come out the other side with a testimony and a story of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, whatever our story is that we need to have in our lives. God is right here, right now, in the middle of what is going on, leading us through whatever it looks like in your life at this moment. Anybody believe that? Yeah. Two of you. Brilliant. Anybody any more than that this morning? Great. Now, just turn to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to go through a few things uh, in this uh, story this morning and <clears throat> bring some parallels out as to uh, things that are happening and going on today. And how do we live through these? How do we live in victory in the midst of circumstances that are challenging? So it says here, Daniel chapter 1. So basically the context was... Um, well, let's read it because it gives us the context. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to have victory over the king of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. So God allowed that. And what then took place was Nebuchadnezzar a lot, uh, took uh, <clears throat> the king of Judah with some of the articles from the temple of God and put them, carried them off into his own temple in Babylon and put uh, that treasure from the house of God into the God, his own temple of his God in Babylon, the house of his God. What, one of the things the enemy wants to do, the enemy wants to try and steal from our lives. He wants to try and kill and destroy our lives. Now, some of the stuff that's going on in life at this moment, we struggle sometimes where there's suffering, there's challenges, there's circumstances that don't seem to line up when we say God is a good God and everything he does is good. And in the midst of that, there are challenges and there are circumstances that seem to say something else. Now, we know in the New Testament, there's a, whole, there's a number of different scriptures that talks about the trials of our faith, the challenges that come our way, the circumstances of life that come up. And one of the things it talks about in, in, the, in the book of James is that the trials that we face and the challenges of our faith proves that it is genuine. So sometimes there are challenges that we go through that actually help to prove and, and when we say prove, we don't just mean prove that God is alive and there's proof for it, but there's a proving that goes on 
uh, I don't understand cooking that well, but when you, you <laughs> uh, you're a better cook than I am, Rachel. Um, but there's a proving that goes on when you're making some things that enable whatever you're making to become what it needs to become. And without that proving process, that work with the ingredients, the ingredients will just stay as ingredients. They don't become the fullness that, that the ingredients are, have been mixed in and being proved together to become. And so God allows stuff. God allows us to face things. Allow, he allows challenges in our lives to do a proving work in relationship with Him, a proving work that develops faith, assurance, trust, some spiritual strength and backbone in our lives. God allows stuff to take place so that, firstly, we dig into Him. And when you dig into something, what do you do? You take hold of a tool and you dig in saying, I am not going to be moved. So I'm going to dig in. I'm going to entrench myself in this moment so that whatever is going on around me is not going to shift me and move me and blow me over. And so what we do is we entrench ourselves in who God is. So in the face of challenges, what's the first thing we want to do? We don't want to... We don't want to just talk about the challenges and just talk about the circumstances and be overwhelmed by those. What we want to do is the first thing we want to do is we want to get hold of whatever we do have in God at, this, at that moment and put it to work. Because sometimes we think, well, in the face of circumstances, the enemy wants to make it look like this is too big for you this is more than you can handle. This is more than is possible to see a different outcome. That's how the enemy, he wants to magnify everything from a molehill to a mountain. And so what we want to do when we face challenges is we, we, the first thing we'll do is turn towards who God is and say, God, I, in the face of this stuff, being honest with God, feel overwhelmed. The circumstances look too much. I feel this, or this is what I'm hearing. This is what's going on in me, but. And there always must be a but in the face of challenges and circumstances that are trying to overwhelm us or trying to redefine our lives or redescribe, you know, redescribe who we know we are, but they're trying to change who we are. And so at that moment, we want to say, no, but God, but I know God is true. I know God is real. And sometimes we need to and we have to sometimes in the middle of things remind ourselves as to who God is. <clears throat> and sometimes we do that through gritted teeth, not because we don't want to. But because it feels like in order to declare something, speak something, take hold of something in the face of emotional turmoil, in the face of physical challenge, in the face of being troubled in your mind, in the face of circumstances saying something else. In those moments, it's, it's those moments where we just simply take hold of there's one thing that I do know. God is in me. God is true and God is enough. Anybody believe that this morning? Whether here or at home, anybody believe that today? Because we have to take hold of the truth in very real ways. The world runs on emotion. The world runs on emotion. There are a lot of political decisions that are made that are more based on emotion than common sense sometimes. There are so many decisions people make in their lives based on emotion. And when emotion drives stuff, when emotion leads everything, then common sense goes out of the window. Now, we don't want our lives to be led by emotion. We want our lives to be led by, by who God is, by His Word, by His Spirit in us. So let's dig into this a little bit more. So... Jerusalem's been attacked, it's been overtaken, loads of people have been taken into captivity over to Babylon, okay, into Babylonia. Then in verse 3, it says here, Then the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, 
chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites that they'd taken into captivity from the royal family and nobility. Okay, so think about this. You're a child of God. In the New Testament, it describes us as children of God as a royal priesthood. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Anybody believe that today? He shed his blood for us. So we've been now brought into a royal family. Why? Because we now have a royal bloodline. Because we are now in Christ Jesus. Anybody believe that today? You are allowed to respond this morning. You don't have to be nice. There's no such thing as a nice Christian. You won't, the, the word nice doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. It's brilliant. There are no descriptions of God anywhere in the Bible that says Jesus was a nice guy. Or Jesus is the nice of nicest people. The, the word nice, I don't even think the word appears in the Bible whatsoever. So you don't have to be nice today. You don't have to be a nice Christian, okay? That doesn't mean you're not kind to people. I don't mean that. Pastor Clive said that we don't have to be nice to one another. No, I'm not saying that. But just let, let something rise up in you this morning, rise up today on the inside of you. So you're royal, okay? You're part of a royal bloodline now because you're a child of God, because you are now in Christ. So what does this guy do? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He's like, right, I'm going to go after royalty. I'm going to go after nobility. I'm going to go after the ones that rule and reign. I'm going to go after the ones that can make a difference. And so what does the enemy do? He goes after you and I. He says, I want to take you out. I want to take you into captivity. I want to dupe you. I want to seduce you. I want to tempt you. I want to take you out because the devil knows the power of the blood in our lives. He knows the authority that you and I have as believers. He knows the one that we carry on the inside because the devil knows what happened on the cross. And on the cross, the devil knows that he was defeated by Jesus on the cross. Does anybody believe that today? And because he knows, the devil knows and understands what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he knows now that he is powerless against the believer because we are now raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of God. And therefore, as sons of God, as children of God, we have the same spirit in us that Jesus had that raised him from the dead. And so what does the enemy do in the same way as Nebuchadnezzar does? He's thinking, right, I'm going to get these royalty. I'm going to get those in nobility. I'm going to get the ones who rule and reign, the ones who can determine things. Because when, when you're royal, when you're nobility, you know how to govern. You know how to rule and reign because you're raised in it. And God is raising up us as believers to know how to rule and to reign, how to exercise his godly authority in our lives. Are you with me today? Are you with me this morning? A bit of a preach today rather than a teachy sort of message, okay? But is that all right? Yeah, but the message is the devil ain't going to have the last word in your life, right? Then what does it say? So what did he do? He got young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing every aptitude, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Does anybody this morning fit that description? And every wife turned to their husband and said, that's, that's just read you right there. I hear the blokes laughing, the women, any, any amens there? Young men without any physical... T anyway, let's... <clears throat> How does God see us? How does God see you? God sees you with a youthful, vibrant spirit on the inside of you. He sees you without any physical defect. Why? Because he is your health and your healing. 
He sees you as handsome, as beautiful. Why? Because he has made us beautiful in his sight. When he looks at you, we're his bride. Do you think Jesus is coming back for an ugly old bag? (laughs) Jesus is coming back for a beautiful, spotless bride. Okay. Aptitude, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Now, some of you might say, I'm not the quickest thing, you know, out there. But when you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit can teach you things. The Holy Spirit can give you revelation about things. The Holy Spirit can give you insight into things. The Holy Spirit can give you discernment from things in the natural you just wouldn't even be aware of. The Holy Spirit can give you words of knowledge, information and insight about things. The Holy Spirit enables you to be sensitive to his voice. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom in your life. So we're not conditioned by the natural abilities in our lives because we have one who is supernatural on the inside of us who can give us insight, give us understanding, give us wisdom, show us stuff that we need. Okay, so you can say about yourself, I have aptitude for every kind of learning because I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of this is how God sees us. Then it says well informed. Now, in the natural, that means, every, you know, somebody knows what's going on out there. They're well informed. They've they got their ear to the ground. They know what's going on. Well, spiritually, God wants us to be well informed. Yes. This whole thing recently about invitation to intimacy is so, so important. Why? Because as we respond to him, as we draw close to him, as we seek to live a life of intimacy with him, there are are some things you're only going to hear from God when you're alone with him. Don't just have a driving to work in my car relationship with Jesus. Don't just have... Uh, I'll stick some worship on, you know, Spotify. Don't just have that as your time with the Lord on its own kind of relationship with Jesus. All of that's brilliant and let's meet with God in, in that. But don't make that your relationship with God. Don't just talk with Jesus while you're in the shower. Well, I'm a, I'm a shower sort of relationship with Jesus. I always talk to the Lord when I'm in the shower and that's my quiet time. Now, you're busy getting clean, getting ready for the day. You might put a few things up there to the Lord and you love him. But if you're going to be intimate with your husband or your wife, you go off into a room. It's just the two of you. There's no one else there. There's no other distractions. There's nothing else that's going to take your attention. And there's things you say to one another. There's things that happen in a marriage when you're on your own like that that doesn't happen in any other context. And Jesus wants us to be intimate with him. What does that mean? It means draw aside with him with no other distractions. We haven't got your phone sort of there and it bleeps or a bit of talk, you know, you, you put it away. And yeah, have some time meeting with the Lord with some worship on, but there might be some time where you just switch all of that off and it's Jesus, just you and me, just the two of us. And you're sitting there, you're worshipping, you're talking, you're listening. You're cultivating his habitation, his presence in your life. And there's going to be some things that God's going to say that you become well informed as to what he is doing. There's so much information out there at this time about all kinds of things in the Christian world as well as just generally in the world. There's so many things that could try and inform us, get our attention. Well, what about this? What about that? But there's some informing that God wants to do in you and I that only happens when we're alone with him. There are things I believe God wants to say about you into your life and to you that you won't hear while you're just driving the car or having a shower or while you're doing the washing up and all of that. Of course God can speak to us in those moments. Absolutely. But there's another, there's another layer. There's another place with God that he wants to reveal who he is into our lives, being well informed. 
Then it says quick to understand. What does that mean? It means as we're walking with God in that way, we're quick, we're intuitive. There's a sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. There's a, we're not slow to, oh, I didn't have a clue. That was, I didn't pick that up. God wants us to be sensitive spiritually so that we pick things up. We discern stuff. When we hear things, we're not duped by them and taken over here, you know, off track. But when we hear something, something in us goes, mm, that doesn't quite sit right with me. You might not understand fully why. You might not be able to articulate why. But you just know on the inside of you, it's like, doesn't, that just doesn't sit. I don't know why, but it just doesn't sit. I can't go with that. And then you might need to go, Holy Spirit, what's going on? Why, why doesn't that sit right with me? Okay. So there might be things here where we're quick to understand. There's revelation there. Revelation that God speaks. And qualified to serve in the king's palace. It's only because of what Jesus has done that we're now qualified to serve him. To honour him, to lay our lives down for him. So we're qualified now, okay? So I love that description because it, it talks about who we are as believers, all right? So what, is the, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to, he wants to aim his whatever, fiery darts, arrows, his attention towards those that can make a difference, those that are going to cause his, him trouble, those that are going to be an obstacle to what he wants to do to wreck people's lives. And he wants to take people out. And so he aims for those that are this description. Then what does it say here? The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, what was going on here? So Nebuchadnezzar took these guys and he took them into captivity. Now, how many of you know, if you are put in a prison cell and there's absolutely nothing in there except a wooden bed and you just get given bread and water, something on the inside of you is going to start to go, when I get the chance, I'm going to get these guys back, right? You're going to, you know, you've been taken into captivity, you've been treated badly, you've been beaten up, you've been shoved in a cell. There's nothing in there except what I've just described and, and everything in you would be, would be getting angry. You'd want to get your own back. It's like, we're going to get these guys when we get the opportunity. But he didn't do that. What he did, it says that he took, he took food and wine from his table. And so these guys, he put them into captivity. He gave them the choicest of food, the choicest of wine. I reckon he put them in really nice accommodation. He, he, he made their life so comfortable. Why? Because he wanted to change their mindset, change their identity. He wanted to seduce them, if you like, from a life they had in Jerusalem where they're brought up and they know this is who we are, this is what we're about. He wanted to completely transform them to become Babylonians. And it says here that he put them into training for three years to become a Babylonian. He wanted to change their identity, change their thinking. He wanted to wipe out what had gone before and redefine who they were. He wanted to rewrite their lives. Now, this is what the enemy is doing out there. He's doing this with the next generation. If you watch, with every generation coming up, things seem to be getting younger and younger in terms of what children are being exposed to, what they're being taught. Uh, and, and all of that without getting into that one. And, and things are getting younger and younger in terms of a, a generations each time they come up having a mindset and a worldview of what is normal, what is acceptable and everything. And, and, and if you're older in here, some of the things that were just absolute kind of norms in your generation, if you then flick from 30, 40 years ago into now, in a moment, you'd be shocked at the changes that have taken place and what has just become acceptable now. In, in just ways of thinking and behaviour and everything else. And what this guy's trying to do is redefine it. And this is what the enemy is doing generation after generation after generation. The enemy's playing the long game. And so often as church, we're just trying to live in the moment. And we're here for a long game because life goes on. It will go on tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, the year after. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We've got no idea. There are signs going on around the world. All the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and 25, there are things going on around the world that would suggest, well, these are the signs 
of the times, the end and, and all of that. But none of us know. Jesus himself doesn't even know the day that he's coming back. But what does the Bible talk about? Live today as if Jesus was coming back. Live in the now of who God is as if Jesus was coming back for us today. And so the enemy's playing this long game. He's playing generation to generation. As the church, we need to understand and we need to live generation to generation. But we need to also understand that we live that day by day by day by the choices we make and the things that we do determine what tomorrow looks like and what next week, next month, next year looks like. And so this guy puts him into training. If I can change these guys' identity, these influencers, the ones that can make decisions, and then they serve my kingdom, the king's thinking is then, then my kingdom is going to be secure and will continue on for another generation. So what the enemy is out to do is focus on every generation that's coming up in the world and saying, if I can influence, shape the mind, the hearts of every generation coming up, then I know, or in the enemy's mind, I'm going to thwart God's purposes more and more because the enemy knows he's lost at the end of the day. He just wants to take as many people with him as possible. The devil knows the outcome. The devil knows the end of the story. Do you realise that? The devil's not carrying on doing what he's doing thinking that he's still won and he's going to still defeat God. The devil knows what Jesus did on the cross defeated him. When, when so what the enemy is about doing, he wants to take as many people into an eternity without God as possible. That's why it's called Hell. So what does God want us to do and how does God want us to be on the earth? He wants us to realise the enemy wants to take us out. He doesn't care how he does it because he knows as royalty, as children of God, those who have an authority from God on earth, those that can lay hands on the sick and they recover, those that can come into situations and they change because a believer walks into the room. Why? Because a believer carries God on the inside of them. And when you and I walk into a room, God walks into the room on the inside of you and I, who might look very normal, whatever, you know, in that sense. But we walk into a room and God wants to do something. And God says, I want to do this in that person's life. So I'm going to walk into the room in that person. And so he wants to take us to people, take us into situations, lead us into certain places because God wants to walk in and do something. And he says, I'm going to walk in there on the inside of you. And when you go in there in my name and speak what I want you to speak as I'm on the inside of you or act in the way that I want you to act because I'm on the inside of you, then me, God Almighty, on the inside of you is going to be released through you to then see something happen that otherwise would not happen. Anybody believe that? I believe God wants us in these days to really take hold of who we are on the inside of us. Don't let the enemy belittle you in your mind and say you're nothing, you're rubbish. Don't let the enemy say it's all right for you, Clive, because you're the pastor or you've grown up in a family like you have and so therefore you've got things that I don't have. That, that by saying that, if you think that, that means God has favourites. God doesn't have favourites. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. What does that mean? It means God doesn't lift anybody up higher than someone else. He doesn't say someone is more important than someone else. I think we're going to have some surprises when we get to heaven. As to not who's on the front row, because I think sometimes we think, well, how, how close to God am I? Am I going to be on the back row? It's not like God's going to be on a platform and there's a PA and a thing and we're all going to gather around the platform. God is omnipresent. We're going to be in God 
for eternity. You won't, it won't be like God's down there in the big venue. Let's all go and worship him today in heaven. It's not going to be like that. God, heaven, eternity is God and we are going to be in God. We're going to be filled with God. We're going to be radiant with God. We're going to be in him for all of eternity. He's not going to be over there in heaven and let's go and worship him. Yes, there's a throne, there's living and all of that lot. But we're going to be so encapsulated with who God is. He's everywhere. Are you with me this morning? We're going to finish. It's turning out to be longer than I thought it was going to be. But we, we, we've got to get a hold of, or we've got to allow God to reveal who he is afresh in our lives so that we don't live under something in any way at all in our lives. God is no respecter of persons. Let's just carry on for a moment. In this context, so Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their names. Daniel, the, the, and uh, this is about, and his three mates. And it's interesting how the names that they gave them were names of, of gods in Babylon. So instead of their names that they were, which, which related to being Israelites and Jews and, and their names connecting with who God is, the living God, this guy wanted to change their names and say, no, your, your, your identity now, your name is going to now be connected with the Babylonian gods and with who we serve because I'm going to change your name, change your identity. And, and that's what the enemy's trying to do out there in society. He's trying to change people's identity from being who God has created them to be. And he's trying to change their identity, put a different name on them, a different description on them because he's trying, the enemy's trying to conform people out there to the spirit of this age, the spirit of the world, if you like, to the enemy's purposes, so that people don't find God. They don't find their purpose for being alive. Why? Because the enemy wants to take as many people with him as possible because he knows he's on the losing side. So the enemy doesn't care what happens in somebody's life as long as they don't connect with God. He's not bothered what they get into. He doesn't care what they get into as long as they don't connect with God and discover their purpose in God. So then in the midst of this, Daniel, we'll close with this, then we'll pray. Verse 8, in the midst of captivity, in the midst of identity being changed, in the midst of being taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Man, oh, we missed that bit out, but there's a language out there there's a narrative going on out there in the world that the enemy is perpetuating in loads of different scenarios about all kinds of things. There's not just one narrative in terms of... There's language out there that's describing society. It's describing culture. It's describing what is acceptable and what isn't and all of that. And, and, and that language and that literature, things are being written down now to to fit the language and the narrative that people are trying to push in loads of different ways out there to write things down. Because once things get written down, they become laws. You only write things down because you're pushing something for something to become a law in some way. So that becomes written in a way where everybody now is supposed, you have to adhere to that thing because it's a law. And so this is the law that we live by. God has written this book for people who know him to live by on earth. This is the law of life. It's not a law of control, of manipulation and all of that. This is the law of life. And when I say law, I don't mean the Old Testament laws that we're supposed to try and keep in our own. This thing, the, the word law means more than just keeping a rule. This is the book of life. This is the law of life. This is God's Word of life into our lives. In the midst of this face of challenge and, and their identity is trying to be changed and you've got to read this now, study this, you've got to become this, take this on so that then you, you then become a perpetrator, uh, uh, not a, uh, a voice for all this stuff in the same way as, as if you were a Babylonian. In the midst of that, look at verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official permission not to defile himself in this way. There was something on the inside of him, a resolve, 
when you have a resolve on the inside of you, there's something that's going on. A resolve is not dormant. A resolve is something that is going on in you that when something happens that doesn't line up with your true north, if I can put it that way, with your true convictions about what you believe and what you know and the one that you do know, when something comes along that is contrary to that and tries to bring you under that, there's a resolve on the inside of you that says, no, that is not right. I am not going to come under that. I'm not going to let that dictate my thinking. I'm not going to let that then begin to affect my emotions and what I feel. Why? Because the one on the inside of you is stronger than anything that can come against you. Anybody believe that today? So he resolved not to defile himself, firstly from the, the raw food and wine. Why was that? Because that, the, the, the food and wine would have been offered to Babylonian gods before they would then serve it. And, and for a Jewish lad, he's like, I can't eat anything that's been offered to someone else, something else, because that would make me unclean uh, in that way. And therefore, I can't be unclean in my life. And so he had a choice to make at that moment. Am I going to let some of this stuff begin to affect me? Am I going to eat and drink of some things that could affect my heart, they could affect my life, and they could affect my relationship with God? Am I going to allow stuff... Am I going to begin to take in stuff on the inside of me? So if we just translate that to now, whether it's not necessarily physical food and wine, but the stuff that's going on out there, are we drinking and eating of things that can affect us on the inside and begin to affect our thinking, our emotions, what we believe, what is happening on the inside of us? And this guy was like, no, I, there's a resolve. I'm not going to find myself. Now, where did that resolve come from? The resolve was in him before he'd been taken into captivity. So while he was still in Jerusalem, the, the position of his heart and his life was already following God, was already after God. So when the pressure came in the, in the circumstances came, there was something on the inside that rose up that said, no, I'm not going to come under what I'm, the situation I'm now in because he'd made a decision in his heart and his life beforehand. And when we read through the rest of the story, which we haven't got time for, we see that um, he goes to the king's official and he said, look, this uh, is, um, I, I can't let this defile me, this stuff. So would it be all right if you just gave us water and vegetables, uh, him and his three friends, and, and just test us? Because the, the official said, look, if I do that, the king's going to have my head. I can't do anything he's, he's not told me to do. And so Daniel, bit of wisdom here, he says, uh, well, just try us then. Try us for 10 days. Don't tell anybody, maybe, for a while. Just check it out and see what happens. And the king's official, yeah, all right, well, let's see what happens then. And, and after 10 days, they come back and, and what does he say? The king's official looks and said, these guys look healthier and better nourished than any of the, any of the other young guys that were eating the royal food and, and wine. So all the other Jewish guys, they carried on eating everything from the king's table. They, they obviously didn't mind. But there was something about the resolve in four people that was bigger than the circumstance they were in. Everybody else, they went with it. They had probably, by the sound of it, quite liked the lifestyle and the nice, well, we've been taken into Babylon and actually it's not too bad, is it? Five-star accommodation, the best food you can get. This is pretty cool. Uh, he's going to educate us. They're going to do this, that and the other. It's quite interesting how people get duped so easily, isn't it? Seduced into, that's how the enemy works. Sometimes the enemy doesn't come with a nine-size boot and go, there you go, it's really obvious what I'm doing now to try and take you out. He, goes, he comes little by little, little by little, little by little. We don't realise what's going on until we're eating the choice wine and food and we're getting into stuff and, and we realise our heart's gone a little bit off where it was before. But yet this guy Daniel in the midst of that says, no, I'm not going to allow that kind of thing to affect me in this situation. The upshot of the story is God gave Daniel and his three friends ten times the amount of wisdom and understanding than anybody else in that kingdom. The king has dreams, doesn't, nobody can interpret them. Daniel ends up in front of the king. He tells the king what these dreams are. The king says to this guy, man, there's nobody else with such wisdom, uh, so I'm going to put you in charge of everything. 
So he goes from captivity to become the prime minister, basically, of the nation. And then, as you follow the story, Nebuchadnezzar even turns around and says, everybody has to worship the God of Daniel. That's a massive change. Translate that to our culture right now. This is why the devil is not going to have the last word in your life or my life. Here's four guys who walk into a kingdom that is totally anti-God. And they simply say in the midst of that, in the face of that, I'm not going to, this thing is not going to overtake me. It's not going to overcome me. It's not going to define who I am because God defines who I am. He tells me who I am. He tells me what life is all about. So I'm going to be who God has called me to be in this life. And whatever that means for you in your situation. And it's amazing how four guys changed, or God did, through four guys, changed the whole culture of a kingdom. So what could God do through you and me? What could he do through you and me? Four guys who simply just said, we know who God is. And it's not right that this Babylonian king rules the roost. But they didn't take the guy on. So we're not against stuff. We're not against people. We're not against, we're not, we're not taking the world on because the world's against us. Because what we do then is we position ourselves here and the world is there and then we have a them and us mentality. And then we have, oh, the world's against us. The world's trying to do this. The world's trying to do that. The world's trying to do the other. It's trying to do this, trying to do that. And then we have this, you know, and all this. The American government's trying to do this. There's, there's conspiracy theories about the other. There's all this about vaccines and all the stuff that we've heard. And before we know where we are, we're standing here going, the world's against us. The world's against us. The world's against us. We've got to come against the world. No, we haven't got to come against the world. We might not be of it now because we're believers, but we're certainly in it. And Jesus, Jesus didn't stay in heaven and say, come on, try and reach me. Jesus said, no, I'm going to come down on the earth. I'm going to walk amongst mankind and change everything from the inside, if I can put it that way. And so we're not, we're not coming against the world. Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about the fight that we're in, the battle they're in is a spiritual one. It's not a fight against flesh and blood. It's against every spiritual principality and power that is at work in this age. And that's why we need to understand at this time who we are as believers, who you are in Christ. What does it mean to have God on the inside of you? That your life is not a playground for the enemy. He's not, your life is not a playground for the devil to do whatever he wants with. Why? Because you're a child of God. Why? Because you have the blood of Jesus on the inside of you. Why? Because he's brought you into your part of the royal priesthood. You have an authority that only God can give someone because you have God on the inside of you. And I believe God wants us this morning, not just to say, oh yeah, Lord, all right, you know, but make a decision in our hearts, say, right, I, I am not going to allow the enemy to push me around any longer. And some of you might say, well, that's not my style, Clive, to be a bit more, whoa, a bit more like that. But it's the Holy Spirit style at times. The Holy Spirit has loads of styles, if I can put it that way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has a very intimate moment style. But there's other times the Holy Spirit has a very full-on bombastic phone call. <laughs> Somebody's phone's ringing. I don't know who that is. Let's jump to our feet, shall we? Are you ready? One person is. I'm glad you're here, mate. Anybody else ready? Thank you, Lord. Stand up at home. I want you to get off your couches. If you're in bed, please get out of bed uh, for the moment. This is not a duvet message. Uh, this is a get on your feet message this morning. Uh, so uh, just stand to your feet for a moment. Okay, shut your eyes and lock, close everybody else out. 
Now, firstly, we're going to think for a minute. Sometimes we'll rush just pray. I love it when Pastor Colin, you know, and he said it loads of times over the years, sometimes we need to think before we pray. We just need to remind ourselves, hang on a minute, right, I'm not just going to have an emotional response. I'm going to think for a minute. Just think for a moment about this message. Think about who you are in Christ. Don't, don't feel. Think. You have the mind of Christ So as you think now, just remind yourself who you are. Just say to yourself, and I'll I'll, I'll encourage you, verbalise this. Don't just think with your mind here. Just verbalise it. First of all, say, I'm a child of God. I'm part of the royal priesthood. I am in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need to say this, my mind and life is not a playground for the enemy. The devil does not define who I am. Jesus defines who I am. Maybe just say to yourself now, I have the mind of Christ. I do not have a confused mind. I am not double-minded. I have the mind of Christ. Maybe you just need to say, I am a discerning person, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I have God's authority in my life because He is living in me and He has given me His authority to speak in His name, to act in His name. Now, there might be, right, there might be some things in different ones of us and it would be, be different for different people. There might be some things that you need to, this morning, make a decision about. This is why this is, our lives are not led by emotion. See, in the room here, there are loads of different emotions going on right now, okay? Some of you are like, don't even know if I believe what I've heard this morning. That's what your emotions are saying. Okay? Your emotions are like, I don't feel like I've got authority. I don't feel the message in that sense. Some, of, some people are at home, wherever. Some of, you know, some of you are thinking, wow, is that really who I am? Is that what I, because stuff doesn't seem to line up. So I'm, I'm struggling to, Father, I just thank you for the spirit of revelation today into our hearts and lives. Some of you this morning, you need to make a decision. Right, I'm no longer, this situation, this circumstance, whatever's going on, this is is not going to determine me any longer. It's not going to determine what's happening any longer. The devil is not going to have the last word in this situation. God has the last word. And so what I want you to do now, if, if you've got something, whatever it might be happening around you, circumstances, uh, it could be a physical sickness, could be, I don't know what it might be, something else is going on around your life and it's wearing you down or it needs to stop or something needs to change. What I want you to do right now, and, and don't just think this, okay, you need to speak it, you need to confess it out. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So something powerful happens when we confess. It's not just confessing sin. It's when we confess the word, when we confess and speak things. And, and when I say that, I don't just mean, uh, well, I'll just, you know, name it and claim it then. I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it and that sort of thing. What I'm talking about is, this is who I am in Christ. This is what God says about me because this is who he is. So I'm not going to put up with this stuff any longer. Okay. 
So let's just do this right now. All of, I, I mean, everybody can get involved, but if you've got something specific, it could be oppression, could be depression, could be some sickness, it could be a circumstance going on, it might be a challenge. I don't know what it might be, but what I want you to do is draw a line this morning. Draw a line. And it's not a line in the sand because you don't live on sand. You live on the rock of who Jesus is. That's the one you have on the inside of you. I want you to draw a line on that rock. And just say to yourself, I'm not going to be blown around by this any longer, whatever this means in your life. And so right now I step over that line and I make a decision now with the authority that God has placed on the inside of me. And I take authority. I don't know, you can, be, you can say what I'm saying if you want, but you can put it in your own words. But don't just stand there silent now if you need to respond today. And just say, you know, something like, right now in that authority, in the name of Jesus, I command this oppression to lift off I command that depression to go from my life. I command this sickness to leave my body. I command my emotions to come under the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. I command the confusion in my mind to leave. I command anything that's going on in me right now that does not line up with who God is to go from my life right now in the name of Jesus. I am not putting up with rubbish. I am not putting up with lies. I am not putting up with the seduction of the enemy and I take authority over all of that stuff right now I rebuke it I cut it off from my life and I say no more that is the end today right at this moment Father I thank you for victories taking place now in people's hearts and lives in this room, in at home. Now, I thank you for victories taking place and I thank you you're going to lead us from victory to victory during today, from one minute to the next, one hour to the next and tomorrow from one day to the next, week by week, one week to the next. And I thank you, Father, as we take hold of you, you prove you are genuine on the inside of us because of them, what we begin to see happening in us and changes around us. So Father, we praise you, we exalt you right now. We thank you that you are our victory. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. Do you want to just thank the Lord? Whatever he's doing in you this morning, just thank him, just praise him. Thank him and praise him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That was a short message today. Compared to eternity, that was really short. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.